Hey guys, what's up? It is week 274, and first and foremost, I want to thank everybody for the support uh, and backing me up with like answers and stuff and and suggestions on how you know to take the channel further and all this kind of stuff. Every once in a while, you just get completely burnt out, and you're just like, I feel like you know you you know how you know how it is. But now I feel bad because it, everybody's just like, you're doing a great job, and it's just like it's kind of like you're like out there fishing for compliments or something at a certain point. But it happens. Sorry about that, guys. Glad you guys uh, you know got back to me and everything i appreciate it also to let everyone know uh fred vogel you know director of august underground and toe tag and everything like that the final interview he um works on films and he had an injury at work he fell off a ladder and broke his leg and in a few places he's uh you know he has a gofundme up right now i'll put the link below if you can help out or donate please uh please do but uh let's hop into the reviews and the first one up is a doozy um it's from on earth Films, so yeah it's a newer film so you never know what to expect you know if it's an extreme film but this looks like it's part of their new line, an animated line. It has the, a little one on the side here. And this is the Old Man movie. And I believe there was a series of shorts um, beforehand. And then eventually this is the feature length uh, movie or version or whatever you want to say about it. Now this isn't a bunch of shorts compl- uh, put together. It's, a, it's its own movie, of course. So uh, the Old Man movie. It's uh, This is wild. Okay, so it's stop motion. It's got a weird animation about it. It's an Estonian film. Um, there is an English version or Estonian uh, version. It, if whichever you prefer, the dub or whatever. So, oh boy, how do I go about this one? Of course, this is one of the most oddball, strange films I've ever seen. At first, it starts off, and I'm like, this is uh, this is strange and odd, but maybe it's it. You could uh, show it to kids or, or something like that. As progressed, I was like, absolutely not. There's language, and it gets weirder and weirder as it goes on. There's some sexual stuff in here that's just so uncomfortable yet hilarious. The whole movie, it kind of lives in that uncomfortable like kind of comedy stuff. So. Uh, three kids are, are basically shipped off to live with their uh, their grandpa for the summer. And their grandpa is like, you know, the dairy guy in this small little village. He milks this cow. People come from all over the village to get milk from him. Um, and he's kind of a big deal. Um, there's also this strange character who is basically crippled. And you see his backstory. Essentially what happened was... He didn't milk this cow in time, and he used to be basically the grandpa's position, you know, the big guy that do all the milk stuff for the town, the village. And what happened was the cow exploded, and uh, after that, he uh, became deformed in this weird kind of dairy-esque way. Um, he kind of explains it in a, in a certain point. He uh, cries vanilla ice cream. He sweats like milk, and he bleeds sour cream. I'm not making this up. It's really gross. It's really weird. And he's an hilarious character. So essentially what happens is the young kids start looting the ropes. And the cow actually escapes. Um, and the cow's running through the woods. Um, and at the same time, this this crazy uh, cow-hating guy after his accident's after them. And he uh, basically takes these three out-of-work lumberjacks to help him. And he wants to chop the cow's head off before you know it explodes because it hasn't been milked. So the old man and his three grandchildren go after the cow. And there's a series of... Uh, misadventures, I'd guess you'd call it. Um, a lot of weird stuff. Uh, one point involving a tree who gets satisfaction uh, from people going underneath him and back in and out and in and out. Lots of funny things there. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely a wild movie. They come across a group of hippies within the woods. That leads to a lot of laughs. Yeah, there is some some blood and some gnarly stuff going on. Some weird, uncomfortable stuff involving a combination of a human-cow deal. Um, but the whole movie 
movie is pretty funny. There's lots of like this awkward kind of humor where somebody will say something or somebody will do something and the other character will just be like staring at them, you know, the blank face kind of joke. And you, you wait a while for the comedy to come and, you, you know, they, they hit it at the right time. The timing is really good. Um, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was really wild and really weird and just and that awkward kind of uncomfortable stuff here. This one, it, it, it's like kind of perfect for like a Shudder movie. Like this is on Shudder, although it's not a horror film. It's definitely a genre film and no one else would have this movie in any other subgenre. I think this could play really well on something like Shudder and find like a midnight audience similar to to like the greasy strangler or something like that. So I really enjoyed this. I think this is great stuff. Um, and, and like I said, there's this great uh, set piece of this giant uh, inside this bear. Uh, yeah, um, the bear looks excellent in this. He he is so scary and gnarly and it's got like this real sense of like um reality within the movie like the animals look all like really messed up and gritty and and their own way and animation i I really enjoy this i think this is great stuff as far as the features are concerned basically there's the old man shorts there's like five or six of them on here and this the english dub is new and if i'm not mistaken i believe jimmy screamer claus worked on this uh this release here i know he didn't have anything to do with the making of the movie but possibly he helped make the dub or something like that and if anybody doesn't know who jimmy screamer claus is he worked on stuff like where the dead go to die um which is a really wild weird animated movie that will make uh, anybody uncomfortable so um the old man movie really recommended check this out um if you like weird stuff you like awkward comedy this one is 100 percent for you okay the next one up is from antonio margoretti you know infamous italian director um who would do stuff like Cannibal Apocalypse, uh, Tiger Joe, um, The Last Hunter, Naked You Die, um, a couple other sci-fi flicks uh, with um, The Castle of Blood. Antonio Margariti is a really solid director, and uh, this is Battle of the Worlds. This is from 1961, and it stars legendary actor Claude Rains from Casablanca, Invisible Man, The Wolfman. The guy's one of the greatest actors ever, considered one of the greatest actors of all time, and uh, he's definitely the highlight of this movie so this is a definitely a b movie through and through a sci-fi picture <laughs> a little on the cheap side you would definitely say but a lot of the italian uh, sci-fi movies were kind of on the cheap side especially you know some of the you know 50s and 60s ones for sure so um anyways the story here is um basically a group of scientists noticed that this i believe it is like a, a meteor is going to pass really close to planet earth they are very worried that it's going to crash directly into planet earth claude rains warns them don't worry about it not warns them but gives them advice it's not going to hit us everything's going to be perfectly fine but after the meteor passes it starts to kind of orbit the earth and this kind of confuses everyone and they kind of realize that there's something wrong with this this meteor it's like a planet battle the worlds and uh, it's up to them to try to figure out what's going on they kind of go to the planet and Claude Rains is completely obsessed with discovery and finding a whole bunch of different things about the planet yada yada etc etc like I said the really highlight of the movie is Claude Rains just kind of going on and siliquizing uh, to himself and just going on these big long like model logs of a weirdness and just like i wouldn't say he's chewing the, he's definitely chewing the scenery but it's not it's it's kind of overacting to a certain extent but it's basically what's keeping the movie alive of him just kind of going on these long rants and just on this weird lighting and all this kind of stuff um as, as far as he's concerned he's good everyone else is kind of bland you know typical late 50s early 60s kind of sci-fi character carbon cutout characters that you really don't remember i mean it does have some okay set design you know the typical kind of suits or anything it's not going to compare to something like Planet of the Vampires or, you know, 
even something um let me think of some of the other like um what is it forbidden world um that you know those movies are just they they obviously have you know a following for a reason but uh it was interesting to see this one um it's not exactly my favorite um this is from film detective and again what film detective does so well is remastering these movies so if you're a fan of it it looks fantastic in comparison you'll see that playing along here you'll see that the difference in the old master to the new master and it looks night and day and there's some colorful imagery too you know some some reds and set design and stuff and lighting that works in the movie so it's worth seeing it in a, in a good looking copy as far as the special features are concerned this is really nice here this is an all-new feature at production a cinematic outsider which is what they call the um the um meteor is what claude Rains calls it the outsider the fantastical worlds of antonio margariti from ballyhoo motion pictures which is all which is pretty cool because they go over like a sci-fi output and stuff which is something i didn't know too much about and they do talk about you know a little bit about stuff like naked you die but i was more familiar with his horror oriented stuff or his vietnam oriented stuff he wasn't exactly a horror director but he dabbled in a lot of different subgenres and everything like that and of course how can i not mention they actually use his name and in glorious bastards quentin tarantino's course a fan and there's also a full-length commentary track by author film historian jason humphreys and uh yeah there's also original essays by author don stradley margot reedy's world so uh, to be honest, this one wasn't really uh, very good. Uh, very good, in my opinion. Like I said, it was interesting enough to watch. Claude Rains was enjoyable as hell, and it was nice to see Margot Reedy kind of you know touch dabble into the sci-fi world. And there's a couple others I think I own by him as well. Again, Film Detective. If the movie is good or not, their releases are always top-notch, and I've enjoyed everything they put out to a certain extent. Um, but I, I think they're one of like again one of the more underrated companies when it comes to like quality-wise and featurettes being short and sweet and direct to the point loaded with information so a good release on an okay movie um that does have some note because of the director and the time period and the subgenre. so that is battle of the worlds okay now we're going to hop into the patreon pick and this is i believe by jim simon and he picks pretty solid stuff most of the time and this one here is from 1984 this is the wildlife um by art linson who i believe is more of a producer than a director and uh yeah this is like a semi-sequel to fast times at ridgemont high which i haven't watched in years that one obviously stars sean penn and a million other people and they all do a great job in that one and it's had like it definitely has a cult following like i said this is a loose sequel they get chris penn in it and uh, among other actors eric stoltz is in here leah thompson um um, Jenny Wright, um, Michael Bowen. Um, there's a lot of familiar faces that you'd recognize in this picture. So, um, 84. And, like, this movie, it was kind of, like, in release hell for a long time because of soundtrack issues. There's a lot of good needle drops in here. You know, this is, like, an 80s teen comedy, but a little bit more serious. Has a little bit more to it than your typical sex comedies at the time. But uh, a lot of needle drops, a lot of good music, and so they had a lot of trouble with it. And I think this release actually is missing one of the songs. I think they changed one of the songs for the release. Unfortunately, I'm not super familiar with this movie, so I don't know exactly which one it is. Now, before we get into this, I do want to mention that I am a huge Chris Penn fan. Chris Penn was one of my favorite actors, R.I.P. Um, he he was always kind of like on the underrated side, but every time he turned in, like got a good script, he always turned in an amazing performance, whether it's Best of the Best 1 and 2, Reservoir Dogs, True Romance. I've always loved his performances, and, you know, uh, At Close Range, another good one that he does an amazing job in. And this one I thought he was really good in. You know, he doesn't usually get to play like the young kind of, you know, hip kid. Uh, he's not hip, I, he's, he's like a, a wrestler, and he... Um, Everybody knows who he is around town. He's he was dating Jenny Wright, and he's just not exactly a a great boyfriend. He's like kind of a party animal, kind of a doofus. And his his buddies are, of course, you know Michael Bowen, and I can't think of the other actor, but he's in a slew of stuff too. And they're like his wrestling buddies are really big and 
dumb and always just butting heads. And Eric Stoltz is kind of like his friend that graduated and they work at the bowling alley together and he's trying to move on, move out, move on with his life. Eric Stoltz's little brother is kind of like an outsider, kind of troublemaker, obsessed, you know, with like the middle of Vietnam and all this kind of stuff. And he has a friend that he always refers to in Charlie, uh, played wonderfully by Randy Quaid in a very short role, but a very memorable role. Randy Quaid, you know, um, honestly, an underrated actor. I know that uh, recently he's kind of people say he's lost his mind and stuff like that. And I, I'm not, I don't know exactly the details on that. But, you know, if you look at his 70s and 80s output, he had so much a, a bigger output than people, you know, remember. Uh, you know, Randy Quaid was in so many movies in The Last Picture Show to uh, Lolly Madonna, LLC. I mean, he was in so many cool movies and uh, Midnight Express and had so many good performances. And this one is a, a really solid kind of strange performance, kind of like filling the shoes of like a Dennis Hopper from River's Edge, but just sm- just a glimpse. You just get a glimpse. That kind of older guy who hangs out with younger guys that has no sexual re- you know, interest in them, but he's just kind of like, you know, either a loser or mentally not there or just something going on, you know. Um, so, so that's a nice little touch here. But, you know, Chris Penn even has his own catchphrase. It's casual, which pops up a bunch of times here. So it does have those bits of like 80s comedies that are really silly and over the top, like the giant party, knocking down a wall. That's just over the top. But it also has like a, a sense of like drama and, you know, I don't want to say coming of age, but maybe that's possibly there. But it's got a lot of story arcs and a lot of different characters and all kind of intertwining and everything like that. And it's very enjoyable. It's very well acted. Chris Penn is very funny in it. He's very charming, even though he's a he's a he's a. Uh, a meathead in a lot of ways. Eric Stoltz, you know, he's kind of like the driving force or basically the main character, one of them, along with Chris Penn that has like, you know, the more relatable character types and everything like that. And he ends up like a big chunk of the story is he's trying to move into this fancy apartment that he really can't afford and like the guy running it, a character actor I think most people would recognize is really shysty and hilarious and everything like that. So there's like a lot of good stuff going on here. A lot of goofy characters, a lot of humor that's probably outdated now, but I think most people that watch this will take it in context context and understand that um i love the soundtrack too it has like that certain like easy to get into kind of soundtrack and memory and nostalgia to it that you know i wasn't born in i wasn't born till 86 but a lot of this stuff you know i grew up watching a lot of the 80s stuff and this you know this if it had more exposure if it definitely had more exposure at the time in the 80s and maybe it wasn't lost on on vhs for years i actually have a beta of this freaking tape uh if i have to dig it out possibly maybe to show you guys but um the thing is um, I think it would be more popular, honestly. Now, I'm comparing it to Fast Times at Richmond High, it's been a long time since I watched that one. I'm due for a rewatch. And I can't remember which is the character that's supposedly the same one that crosses over. Oh, Rick Moranis is also in here. That's nice to see. And he plays kind of a doofus that works at like a new wave clothing shop. Seeing him in this ridiculous outfit and stuff works really well. Is it the hair? No, it's not the hair. That's all I'll say about that. As far as the special features are concerned, we have audio commentary by writer, podcaster, Mike uh, McBeardo McPadden, author of Teen Movie Hell, and author, disc jockey, Ian Christie. Interview with co-star Ian um, Mitchell-Smith, who plays the younger brother. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, Mike, Mike McBeardo passed away, unfortunately, and I, I should really pick up that Teen Movie Hell book. And I think he also did the Heavy Metal Whore book, too. So anyways, I need to check those out. But this is a really entertaining movie. Um, um, and there is a cop character who's really funny in here as well. Uh, let me check if I missed anybody in the cast. Uh, I think I hit pretty much all the big ones. Um, Hart uh, Bachner, I think that is a, a character that I actually I feel like that might be the cop in here. And he's kind of familiar too. He's also a doofus. Anyways, really good movie. Enjoyed it. Uh, check it out. The Wildlife. Very happy with it. Okay, guys. Let's hop into those 1980 movies. They did this to you. They're trying to turn us against each other. 
look at him. What do they know about friendship anyway? I'll get him. You watch. I'll take care of those sons of bitches. Watch it, Alan. I'm shooting. Oh, good Lord. It's... It's unbelievable. It's... It's horrible. I can't understand the reason for such cruelty. It must have something to do with some obscure sexual writer. With the almost profound respect... Getting very careless. Blood in your hair. What will we do? You want to look pretty, don't you? Pretty for me. I can't believe you're not afraid. All you have to do is piss on it. Could he care blood, ain't you? God damn it, Ralph, get out of here. Go on, get. Leave people alone. You'll never come back again. Oh, shut up, Ralph. It's got a death curse. Evil. Gone, my leg. Gone, my leg. I'm here. You're here. There's a fog bank out there. Messenger of God. You're doomed if you stay here. Demanding everything, including blood. John, I want this material burned. All of it. My son was a son of a bitch, and he was no good. That's it. My son is dead. I don't want to talk about him no more. Oh, Sydney. Oh, Sydney. You're gonna die. Major Ma'am. He didn't find any boy. Major Suspiriano. You know as well as I do. Takes all kinds of critters to make farmer Vincent fritters. <laughs> I wonder who the real cannibals are. All right. The first up from 1980 is a bizarre one. It is called Writhing Tongue. Now, it's listed as a drama whore. Sam, it is a Japanese film. The runtime is nearly two hours. And so I put this in, and as it started out, I was like, is this really a horror film? Well, I guess it's, it's an argument up to everyone else. So, you guys, if you took all the stuff from The Exorcist that was kind of, uh, you know, examining Reagan, um, like, underneath, like, the, the scientific aspect, and you didn't add the possession and what's wrong with her and, it, and that kind of stuff, it would still be terrifying, but would you qualify it as a horror film? That's kind of what we're dealing with here, but there's some aspects to it that change that you could... Um, this is a bizarre 
bizarre film. So anyways, what happens is we have this uh, couple who have a young daughter and one day she's playing in like kind of the, the swamp or not swamp, but she's, she's basically in a little bit of a patch of woods with some water and stuff like that. And, um, she, her jaw, her jaw won't open and, and she starts, and her parents are a little like, what are you doing? Why? And they get a little annoyed with her, but then they realize she's generally very sick. They take her to the doctors and they realize she has tetanus. And, uh, you know, and it's a very serious disease. If anybody doesn't know tetanus, you know, it's rare, but seriously dangerous. Uh, your jaw locks, you can die from it. And this, we basically watched this four-year-old girl start to have like seizures and and blood come from her mouth, her mouth clenched open. And these doctors trying to make her survive. And meanwhile, both the parents seem to be getting uh, run down completely. Um, and and they start to look sick themselves and brings up the question, are they possibly, did they possibly have tetanus? And as it goes on, as they go more, into like their their stress and their tiredness they start to like almost kind of like have that aspect to them where um the the father starts to kind of hallucinate we see some like weird surreal moments um and we start to see some of his past of himself being in the hospital bed and that stuff is like where it starts to bleed into these weird kind of horror aspects again the scary parts of the movie are generally you know the daughter writhing around on the bed with blood coming out of her mouth and the idea the hopelessness the depression and this idea that you possibly may be infected and the idea maybe it's not tetanus maybe it's something else maybe it's something even more dangerous but uh, it's a really well-made drama it's a drama first and foremost i wouldn't call this a horror film but it was listed again so i watched it japanese to add some spice into the 160 movies i'm watching um and for the most part it's a really good movie it's a really solid drama it's a it's a really sad uh depressing look at you know a a couple of trying to save their daughter while they go through massive stress and just watch them get run down and possibly be infected themselves it's a good film and, I, and there's a lot of good dialogue, a lot of good moments, a lot of good performances, especially by the father. You get to see details in his face. And at one point, um, he runs to go get something, and he trips and falls, and he, he like gets up. And for a second, he like starts to realize, that, and he starts just bawling. He never cries during the whole movie. At this point, he starts bawling. And I won't spoil anything, but it's just a really well done scene, and it's a well done film. Like I, I can't see this feels does feel like a movie they'd show you in high school. I I don't know if this is popular in Japan, but I imagine it is much more. Like, I feel like this is a movie they'd put on, like, for people in Japan to check out and watch. I really like it, uh, Writhing Tongue. Now, it's not going to be making a horror list of top 25 or anything like that, because it's really not an exploitation movie either. It just has some horrific stuff in there. Enough to cross over, I think, for some people to call it horror, uh, medical horror, I guess, but I wouldn't myself. So, that's Writhing Tongue. Good stuff. Okay, the next up here is Night Kill by Ted Post did this one. Was it Ted Post? Um, Yeah, it is Ted Post. And uh, this has a bunch of people in here, Jacqueline Smith. Um, She was, I believe, from Charlie's Angels, which I'm not super familiar with, the old Charlie's Angels show, but I know it. Mike Connors, James Franciscus, and Robert fucking Mitchum. Now, I think this possibly was a TV movie or almost was a TV movie. There's some weird stuff going on about that. So Ted Post, you know, he directed Hang 'Em High. He directed one of the Planet of the Apes movies. I believe he did Beneath. And Beneath is a really good one. Um, um, and he also did Night Slaves, uh, which from 1970, which I covered. So he did like four movies with James Franciscus. James Franciscus is also in, you know, the Dario Argento, Cat uh, Nine Tales. So he's in a bunch of movies. The Last Shark by Andrew G. Castellari. Killer Fish by Antonio Margoriti, who we also mentioned this week. So uh, I feel like I've watched so many James Franciscus movies in, 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 on this channel. So anyways, Night Kill. 
All right, now this is like more in the style of a thriller, to be honest, but it's still pretty good. So anyways, Jacqueline Smith, um, she is married to Mike Connors, and he's an asshole. He's rich, he runs his business, he's a drunkard. She picks him up from the airport, and you realize they have a terrible relationship right off the bat. And right in the beginning of the film... Um, James Franciscus shows up and he works for Mike Connors and you could tell there's something between Jacqueline Smith and, and Franciscus and he poisons Mike Connors right in front of her and she panics and he says what are we going to do let's just you know there's nothing you can do let's just let it go and he sets up this uh, giant plan so soon after that uh, basically um, somebody else ends up dead and Jacqueline Smith starts to get really panicked and really worried and like you're like is this some gaslighting thing she starts thinking she sees her husband around but he's supposed to be dead and and all sorts of crazy stuff like that. And not before too long, Robert Mitchum shows up and he's a detective and he's on it. And he's on her, seemingly kind of focused on her. And at the same time, you know, there's like people trying to run her off the road and she's still seeing her husband. So it adds all these kind of like like ideas that you're who, who's pulling the fast one, uh, you know, who's who's alive, who's who's um, who's saying they're dead and all this kind of stuff goes on. And then the ending, you know, they set this up um, something with the shower and it's really a brutal ending, to be honest, really kind of fits with that 1980 downbeat spirit um it, it really does ted post is a solid director like i said you know hang him high and and that conquest or is it beneath or conquest one of the two beneath planet apes i believe is the one and he did a really great job with that movie night slaves is not a great film very tv quality movie it's okay interesting but ted post you know he's a, he's a very solid director and this shows um this one is well acted well put together and who doesn't like robert mitchum right robert mitchum is just one of the greatest of all time his demeanor his voice he even when he seems seemingly not trying he's very captivating and I, I would never say i don't think i've ever seen him turn in a crappy performance personally i'm sure there is maybe i don't know but i, I every time he's on screen i'm always very happy with it now if you're going to watch this movie i will warn you don't look up the cast listing because the cast listing spoils something and it kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because i was like oh i'll check it looking at the rest of the cast and i saw this little thing and i was like well that fucking completely spoiled everything and i figured it out almost right away what was happening so i can't speak on if it's obvious because i knew that little hint or it's an obvious twist Regardless, still a solid kind of thriller horror film from 1980. Um, well acted, um, good dialogue, um, and some good tension, of course. We have an interview with star Jacqueline Smith, an audio commentary by film historians Howard S. Berger and Nathaniel Thompson. Always good stuff there. So also Fritz Weaver and Sybil Danning are both in here. I definitely want to mention Fritz Weaver. He was in Creep Show and, and a bunch of other movies. But he has a very small role in here, and he has a weird, odd, very odd uh, collection of classic cars, I will say. So anyways, this is a Kino Lorber, always doing the Lord's work when it comes to putting out, you know, um, forgotten movies. Not the cult movies that everybody remembers that want on Blu-ray or the big mainstream temple movies. The kind of movies that maybe you saw on TV one time and you forgot about it and it was really solid and good. Or maybe it's a good Western that's kind of forgotten about. Kino just puts all of them out. So I cannot recommend enough going to the Kino sale when they have them and just loading up on, you know, 15 to 20, uh, um, 7 to $15 Blu-rays. You won't regret it. There's so much good stuff that Kino has. Kino in pure volume probably has more hits, hit releases than anyone else, for me at least. I mean, it, their presentation a lot of time is very, very plain, but I kind of like that. I kind of like that u uniform uh, look to them. You know, they're all just a dark on the side. If it if it was up to me, every case would look the same and be like that, that uniform side. I'm weird like that. But anyways, Night Kill, good movie. Check it out. Brutal shower scene at the end, man. And it's not like, you know, think Psycho. It's just like special effects are really well done. And I was just kind of like, that is a really cruel way to end this movie. Okay, the next one here is Aunt Alejandra. 
And uh, yeah, this one is a Spanish film, and I did not hear too much about it. Uh, Letterboxd is listed as 1979, but it is 1980, according to the Internet Movie Database, so I decided to watch this one. And right off the bat, I was like, this is much better than expected. So what we have here is we have this older woman, uh, basically... Uh, this this kind of like this grandma dies right off in the very beginning. She she dies in this chair, and we have another older woman kind of looking over the body. And come to find out that is the aunt, uh, the t- the titular aunt character. So um, her uh, ne- nephew, um, nephew, and I, I guess her his uh, husband, his wife, and they're like two, they're three kids basically, except the aunt to live with them. And uh, she's very strange, and she kind of starts to, like, you realize she's probably a witch or has some interest in the occult and everything like that right off the bat. And she basically starts telling them, listen, you can send your kid to a private school. I have all the money you would ever need. Don't worry about money anymore. That's why I'm here. And they're both very kind of apprehensive about it, but eventually they kind of start to accept her money. And the aunt starts taking a liking to one of the daughters. Um, While the other kids, you know, they're not necessarily really big fans of the aunt. Oh, is is it one of the, yeah, one the daughters or is it two kid, two boys and one girl i can't 100 percent remember she takes a liking to one of the younger kids and they start to form a bond and uh as it goes on and on you start to see more glimpses of her you know her powers and she actually is some sort of witch like at one point the father walks in and two of the kids are helping her levitate something and he's just like it's just like dude bro you you gotta say something or just like what what's going on like i don't understand and like she starts to kind of manipulate all of them and everything like that and you can kind of see this kind of going on this like power struggle between you know the wife and the aunt and uh before long some of the family members end up dead in really kind of crazy tragic ways every time they cross the aunt they end up and a lot of people you don't really expect to get killed in kind of really sad depressing ways and this kind of pushes some of the other family members into like this catatonic state until it's up to the mother you know who decides you know it's up to me this is my house and I'm not going to give it up I'm not going to give my family up without a fight and that leads to you know you know <laughs> some crazy scenes involving a bed that there's one point of a lot of screaming from an old woman and this is a really solid one this is kind of a hidden gem from 1980 I never heard anyone bring it up I never heard anyone talk about it but I really dug it and i think this is a good one a good witch story uh very small um but very well done and acted and just the way it unfolds and the dialogue this is a good one check this one out aunt alejandra uh good stuff um i would recommend this if you can find it it is on youtube so uh yeah don't 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 be afraid of it the quality doesn't look great but this is one that i could see you know uh, mondo macabro putting out or a vinegar syndrome or something and i could see a lot of people enjoying it like this would be cool for like a spanish horror box set like a kind of a, a lower budget Spanish or box set. I think this one would be really cool to be in there. Aunt Alejandra. Good stuff. Check it out. Okay, the next one from 1980 is an Italian film, and I believe this was co-directed by uh, Mario Cano, uh, Cano, and he did a bunch of Italian films. I can't think of the big title off the top of my head that he did do, um, but uh, yeah, this is uh, Shadow or Ombre, and uh, yeah, so this one opens up, and it immediately caught my attention. I noticed Luke Lou Cassell is in it. Um, he's in stuff like Fist in the po- Fist in My Pocket, and he's in the first of the Carola, Carolyn Baker, Umberto Lenzi pictures. What is it? Uh, Paranoia. Those are always confuse me because there's like tons of alternate names and their alternate names match up with other but anyways he's in one of those and you know lucas to me or castle how do you say his name he always played that kind of weird eccentric kind of character that i never really like he does a good job in the movies but in like fist in the pocket he's like a spoiled little brat with mental illness and he's just very unlikable and then in you know the other one he's very manipulative and just a, a bratty young kid too this one is like the more grown-up version of him in here and like basically we're following two characters 
characters for the majority of the first half of the film were following him where you hear a lot of his monologues about depression and life and he's just kind of wandering aimlessly through everything he appears to be some sort of artist and then we have this other woman she's like a very interesting character she also dabbles in art and she the opening she's going to look at this like attic room to rent and she gets there and we kind of have like this supernatural touching where it's like she's drawn to this and there's other things about it and all this kind of stuff and she goes up there and there's like an unfinished drawing and like before long you realize that her father disappeared from her at a young age and we see flashes of her childhood and there's a possibility that her father was the one who rented this room years ago and we have like these supernatural aspects eventually Lou Cassell and her meet and that's when things start to get worse and after a while we start to follow Lou Cassell and his depression about everything and stuff like that and and, and I lost more interest in the movie after the second half the first half had this like really beautiful music and real beautiful locations and just set up and this real un, um, know, like ominous presence about it but after that was gone it was kind of like okay like it just seems a little like lost and everything like that now it does kind of tackle the art world and everything like that and that's a little interesting the movie's okay um there is a point where uh old Louie is at like this dance club and he's just dancing fanatically and crazy and it's so weird and bizarre and he starts to see like this person change to uh, who he wants it to be and everything but uh, yeah there is a, a nice element of you know I guess premonition in the film as well um, it's alright it's decent it's not perfect um, it is worth watching if you're interested in these kind of subtle supernatural horror films from 1980 um, and like I said clean this up and uh, put it in a better presentation it could do a lot better in the shadow. All right, next up from 1980 is one directed by Paul Nashi, and this is The Beast Carnival, a.k.a. Human Beast. Um, yeah, this is directed by Paul Nashi himself. What is Paul Nashi's real name? I always just call him Paul Nashi, but it is, uh, yeah, um... Juanito uh, Molina Alvarez. So anyways, Paul Nashi, infamous, you know, actor, uh, horror actor, did, uh, um, played Vladimir Danzinski a bunch of times. That's like his Wolfman character. He's played every monster under the sun besides the creature from the Black Goon. He's played Bad Killers. He's directed a slew of movies, including including uh, The Frenchman's Garden, which is a terrific film put out by Mondo Macabro. So I had to watch the Paul Nashi horror film from 1980. I don't know if this is a Japanese co-production, but there's definitely... You Yakuza type characters in here and I imagine that a lot of these countries did do like these co-productions and everything like that so um, the human beast follows it's part crime film part horror film so take kind of like crime element like heist movie but mix it with something I don't want to say as artistic as Night of Death from 1980 the French film but it does have elements of Night of Death um, from 1980 the French film also covered on this channel so essentially Paul Nashi is uh, he used to date this Japanese woman who is a Yakuza her brother's Yakuza they uh, pull over and do this big heist where they rip a bunch of people off. Nashi kills a slew of people, and then he decides to rip them off. And he has a big shootout, uh, chasing, uh, being chased in the woods. He takes some damage. He gets injured, and he ends up kind of going to this um, this small inn. And like one of the daughters of the, the people running it immediately take interest in him, and he's healing and everything. But before long, he realizes something's not right here. There's a lot of strange doings, and and there's like a mad killer that is is killing 
killing people at night and they're gloved and you're like, is it Paul Nashy? Is it someone else? Is it somebody after the diamonds? Is it, you know, are Yakuza characters still tracking him while we see flashbacks of his past and his love life and all this kind of stuff until we have this kind of solid uh, climactic ending, which a couple movies seem to have a very similar, uh, you know, deal uh, from 1980 involving, I don't want to spoil it. If I say that, it'll spoil it. But there is a lot of eccentric characters, uh, especially at this big dinner sequence, one who plays a priest who is in a bunch of these uh, spaghetti westerns. You'd recognize him right away. He's in a lot of them. And is he in Howl of the Devil? Is he also in Howl of the Devil, the Paul Nashy flick? He might... He might be. I can't remember if I'm just mixing two kind of crazy character actors up. But, uh, yeah, this one's solid. Um, fairly well-directed, um, well-acted. Not Nashy's best-directed or best-acted, but still worth a look. And, I mean, how are you going to watch 160 horror films from 1980 and not watch Paul Nashy's, okay? Um, now, the feature on here had zero features, uh, which is kind of a bummer. I mean, I, I would have been nice to see the guys on Nashy cast or somebody do a commentary on here, Troy Howarth, anybody. Um, I would have liked some contacts to know about Human Beast or the Beast's Carnival, however you want to call it. But uh, yeah, a solid solid horror film, action kind of crime film from 1980 and uh, The Human Beast. Okay, the next one up from 1980 is Windows. And this is the only film directed by Gordon Lewis. Is it Gordon Lewis? Um, I want to make sure I say his name right. Gordon Willis. Sorry about that. Now, Gordon Willis was a cinematographer. He did a lot of the big pictures like Godfather 1, Godfather 2. He's a famous cinematographer. This is his only directed feature, which is a bummer. Um, Ennio Morricone does a score. Um, it stars Tala Shire. And who else pops up in here? I feel like I'm missing somebody in here. Who's the, who's the actor? I mean, that's kind of like the big. Um, is it Elizabeth Ashley? Is the other actress in here? Elizabeth Ashley. Um, yeah, those are kind of like the big two names that I people I think would recognize here. So. The only thing I ever really heard about Windows is a lot of people said that it was very uh, kind of treated. Um, some people say uh, treated unfairly. Some people say it was very offensive towards the, you know the uh, the gay uh, you know uh, lesbian kind of scene or anything like that. So. Okay, here we go. This is the same year as Cruising, um, which also took a lot of heat, which I don't think rightfully took a lot of heat, you know, because of the, you know, the gay stuff in there. They felt like it was d- demonizing gay people, and this one as well got that kind of, that, that flack about it. So Tala Shire, you know, from Rocky, and I believe she's in Godfather as well, so... Anyways, one day, um, somebody breaks into her apartment and attacks her, and it's a really dirty, ugly scene, really creepy. The guy who plays the the um, the guy doing the sexual assault is terrifying. He, he's just like one of those characters where you're like, man, this guy feels a little too real for comfort, kind of like a David Hesk-style character. And the stuff he's kind of saying is just awful. Like, he puts the knife in her mouth, and he's just like, you know, man. And he just has this growl, gr- like, real nasty voice and everything like that, so... After she's assaulted, you know, friends almost immediately there and Elizabeth Ashley and trying to comfort her and everything like that. And um, before long, she like starts a relationship with one of the police officers there and she moves and everything like that. And and it, it, there's a reveal about 20 minutes in it. I don't, it's not really a mystery, but we, we kind of figure out that Elizabeth Ashley, you know, is completely obsessed with Tala Shire, it, madly in love with her. And we kind of have like cut back to her, like going to these like, um, uh, like, her, her getting help from like a psychiatric doctor. I always mix it up. Is it a psychologist or psychi- a psychiatrist? Whatever. I always mix them up. I'm sorry. I believe it's a psychiatrist. And having like these sessions where she's talking to him and all this kind of stuff. And we, we are led to believe that they met initially at this doctor's and Tala Shire, you know, quit the doctor's. And, and Elizabeth Ashley just cannot let this go. Like she's completely infatuated with her. And so much so that she's spying with like a telescope, like, um, 
you know, across like a different building and this kind of stuff. Well, like she starts to have this relationship with this police officer, but there's some good suspenseful moments, including a cab ride where she realizes her cab driver is somebody she knows all too well, unfortunately, and all that kind of stuff. But I could see, I guess people would be like to, to uh, equate being a lesbian with men, with, you know, mental illness. And, um, you know, that all lesbians have this mental illness or, or the idea that a lesbian would hire somebody to sexually assault someone else. It's just whatever it is though but i mean like in, in this you know I, i'm watching 1980 movies i'm watching you know a sea turtle get its head chopped off or, or not a sea turtle but a river turtle get its head chopped off in cannibal uh, holocaust i'm watching you know rats get set on fire with a flamethrower i'm watching you know cruising and maniac and all these movies that have so much more brutality and insanity and everything like that so like when it comes to windows it's just like okay this is just like a, a, a complaint that's just kind of absurd to me like i, I know like maybe it was unfortunately offensive to some people but i don't think that was its intent and i guess intent and context really matter to me so i don't think it was a you know too unfortunately that offensive or anything like that but that's just me and you know i'm pretty hard to offend especially when i'm watching you know all this kind of stuff um as far as the filmmaking is concerned obviously it's going to be shot well it's shot beautifully um you know it's a new york kind of movie so all that stuff pops i mean all the locations are great cinematography is is top notch acting is really solid as well especially from tala shire you know uh, i think she's really solid in it they have this kind of stuttering thing that happens throughout which i I think is an okay, you know, kind of thing to have in there. I don't think it's, it works as well as they wanted it to, but I think the acting is solid. Um, as far as the special features on here, they actually, I believe, have the producer sitting down with Tyler Shire and they talk about the movie. I really like seeing that. They also have Elizabeth Ashley, who doesn't bite her tongue about, you know, people being offended by this, kind of being like, whatever, you know. If you really, and also, if you really want to do something, go out and march, march for something, actually risk being arrested for your protest, you know. There's a lot of people, you know, I don't want to get into all that kind of stuff. That's basically what you said, you know, if you march for your, your, you know there's stuff you could march for and stuff you can genuinely get in trouble for you know picketing a movie is not really going to do you any it is what it is right um i think this movie is solid it's decent um there's no real kills on screen or anything like that it's not really that kind of movie it's more in the thriller vein than a horror film but it fits in that long line of you know people being obsessed or mentally ill in 1980 there's so many kind of mad slashers and killers in 1980 like i said you got christmas evil you don't answer the phone um house on the edge of the park the shining there's just so many people losing their minds don't answer the phone then and i feel like this kind of fits more in something like maniac or don't answer the phone um, that kind of deal. Um, solid movie. I enjoyed all the special features. And finally, you know, I got to see Windows. A good film. Um, not perfect, but solid. Okay, the next up from 1980 is Christmas Evil. And I believe the director, Lewis Jackson, did this one. And he didn't do too many uh, directed films. Um, this stars, of course, Fiona, Fiona Apple's father, uh, Brandon Maggart, or Maggart, or whatever his name is, and Jeffrey Dumont. Um, you also notice, you know, small roles by uh, Mark Magolis is in here, tiny little role, and I believe there's somebody else that pops up that you might recognize. Um, yeah, Christmas Evil. What can I say about this one? For years, I would list this as my favorite Christmas horror film. So um, I think that rewatching Black Christmas, Black Christmas is probably a better film. But I love the psychological aspects of Christmas Evil. 
So, uh, yeah, um, this is uh, kind of uh, I'm famous for being one of John Waters' personal favorite films. I believe it's his favorite Christmas film altogether. But here we go. Christmas Evil um, follows the story of Harry, um, who him and his younger brother one day, they witness, you know, Santa Claus coming down the chimney. And it, it's kind of how he's remembering it, right? And uh, he's the older brother, but he's completely in belief that that Santa Claus is, in fact, um, Santa Claus and not his father. So after that he sneaks down uh, and he notices his mother fooling around with Santa Claus and Santa Claus going down on her and performing oral sex and everything like that and this obviously created some sort of weird thing in Harry's head Um, as he grows up um, we see Harry where he works is um, a toy factory and we're kind of approaching you know Christmas it's like a holiday season right before Thanksgiving and all this kind of stuff and we see Harry kind of like ramping up for like his big kind of like Christmas traditions or possibly this is the first time he's doing that. We see this, this weird kind of things about him. Um, he is socially awkward, strange fellow and just completely bizarre. Every once in a while, we'll cut back to his brother and Jeffrey Demun, you know, from stuff like, um, the mist and the blob and every Frank Darabont movie ever. But, uh, so, so he's in here and we'll see him like talk about his brother, just as being completely out of touch and, uh, and lame and, and all this kind of stuff while he's having his like normal life with his wife and his kids and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of weird, creepy shit that Harry does. Like he watches the kids in the neighborhood and has a, has a naughty or nice book, like, like St. Nicholas would have. He genuinely is feeling like he is Santa Claus. So, and, uh, there's like a character in Moss, Garcia, who always is doing inappropriate stuff, which creates a lot of uh, like comedy. He's like, Moss Garcia! And he runs back and has to write the naughty stuff in the book, which is very funny. And like, so, as like the pressure mounts, and he's just around awful people, um, especially at work, um, and how people do not care, and he sees like the uh, Christmas spirit not really being where it should be, and everything like that. And he has those like, those lights in his eyes, that childhood mentality. He kind of snaps. Um, around Christmas and he puts on a big beard Christmas Eve and he starts to do crimes like stealing toys from the factory to deliver to the hospital which is supposed to be what you know happened and other things like that but like his psychological breaks his acting the you could see all the weird crazy stuff happening within his eyes when he was staring himself in the mirror and all sorts of things but before long he of course ends up committing some major crimes and murder and stuff like that and uh, this movie has an infamous ending a brilliant ending which I absolutely love. You can interpret it a couple different ways. Um, and I won't get into that without, I don't want to spoil the movie. I'm pretty sure everybody's probably seen Christmas Evil at this point. Maybe not, I don't know. But there's a lot of ways to interpret that ending, but I love it. And uh, I, I think it's a really unique ending. And I love the score. I love the the look of it. I love the, the you know, the mood of the film. How when the, the citizens catch on to Harry, that they chase him through the village, like he, uh, the town, like he's the Frankenstein monster, right? With the torches and everything. And it just has that kind of feel about it. The misunderstood Harry, you know, the outsider being chased by the townsfolk. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, this is a, this is a movie I really do enjoy. I think it has a soft spot in my heart, you know, maybe a little bit nostalgia, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, I, maybe it's genuinely that good. I don't know. I just really like it. Um, and it's just crazy. This one came out in 1980 as well. Um, now what kind of hurt this film is it was always advertised and always put as a slasher even when 88 films released it in the UK they put it as the slasher collection Christmas Evil is not a slasher film it's more of a psychological horror film you know in the vein of like even a maniac to be honest where you watch this character not as gory or as gratuitous as maniac but you see him kind of snap in these ways um, the murders that actually do happen are fairly uh, well done you know um, 
like they're not perfect they're not like gratuitous but the the stuff on the the uh, steps is really good and that's followed by him like wandering or being taken into this christmas party so it's like really nice to see that you know the guy who just murdered three people on the steps of a church is now dancing around and and giving their kids advice about you know behaving and stuff like that and they do leave these moments of comedy of course like the police lineup with all the santa clauses is obviously meant for some kind of dark humor and i i think this one works i think it's a really good film it's also very funny that you know in 1984 silent night deadly night with the killer santa claus would take a lot of heat but we have christmas evil four years before kind of doing it um although not as gratuitous or as you know sexually violent as something like you know silent night deadly night uh, christmas evil still kind of was there i think that's more of the way the advertisement was handled for silent night deadly night and probably the sleaze factor in it um and also you know christmas evil really wasn't beloved when it came out and it was uh, also the alternative title better watch out the ending was cut so there's a lot of things unfortunately about it that uh, just kind of kind of held the movie back but i think as its uncut version i think it is a unique weird movie that i think that uh, you'll either really get or you won't you're going to really like this one or you're going to kind of be like i don't get it it's a little dull it's a little bland it's a little boring it's not a slasher all this kind of stuff you could say about it but i think that if you connect with this one i think you'll really like it myself i do connect with this one i've always enjoyed it since the synapse blu-ray there was a trauma i'm at synapse dvd and there was a trauma dvd before which was the cut version which you didn't want and then of course we have the vinegar syndrome blu-ray i'm I'm expecting them to put this out on 4k around the holiday sometime i feel like this is one that they should do um as far as the special features are concerned we already have a 4k restoration here and it looks pretty good two commentaries with director lewis jackson commentary with filmmaker john waters archival interviews with director lewis jackson and brandon maggard um yeah so and deleted scenes actor screen tests storyboards all this kind of stuff here but this is a really weird bizarre movie that i, I would recommend a lot of people check out i'm not so hot on that cover but i don't absolutely hate it either christmas evil 1980 classic Okay, the last one from 1980 is going to be Luigi Cazzi's Contamination. And somehow Plastic Rep stayed on this. Well, that's, whatever. But uh, yeah, so I've, I've watched Contamination. This is like the fourth time I watched Luigi Cazzi's Contamination. Um, yeah, it has music by Goblin. That same music along with Dawn of the Dead's music will be used in also 1980's Hell of the Living Dead, which I adore. Um, so, okay. This movie opens up in very similar fashion to Zombie, which was the previous year. It has a missing like boat or a boat kind of going into the docks or something along the docks. And they're like, we got to check this out. Let's get on this boat. Remember the opening of Zombie where they find Captain Haggerty and he attacks everybody, um, the big fat zombie. So like they go in here, they call a, a police captain, and I believe it's maybe some scientists because something's wrong. They realize these weird giant avocados, these weird green eggs. You're like, okay, so now we have some alien going on here. Not the only Alien ripoff from 1980. Like I said, we have Alien 2 on Earth, um, which I also covered, which is not a great movie. So, uh, Contamination, we have these eggs, and right in the beginning, like, these eggs in slow motion kind of burst, and all these people's stomachs start exploding. We have all this, like, bladder gore, and it's... The bladder gore is fucking phenomenal. It's great. That first 20 minutes of this movie is just like, this is bonkers, this is insane, this is slow motion, fun gore fest. We got goblin music playing, we got unintentionally hilarious dialogue going on and then we kind of slow down we enter the scientist scientist character and we also enter uh, carlo de mayo who's in city of living dead and terror express from 1980 as well and then like we have a lot of this kind of talking and they're 
decontaminating the cop and and they're like we gotta find out what's going on where these eggs came from 20 30 20 uh, like 20 more minutes of this and then they realize that we gotta start talking about the mars mission where they found eggs on that and there was two astronauts and one claimed they saw these eggs so about 40 minutes in we finally get to ian mcculloch uh video nasty actor who appeared in zombie holocaust from this year and of course zombie so he's in three video nasties two of which from 1980 um two of which are zombie all three are kind of zombie rip zombie holocaust is a ripoff contamination kind of has that opening as a ripoff of zombie so three zombie uh ripoff or zombies and then zombies kind of a, some people call it an unauthorized sequel to dawn of the dead of course so it's like a lot of a lot of weird shit going on there so ian mccullen was his former astronaut that claims there was eggs on it his partner said there wasn't yada yada he got banned disbarred whatever so these three the cop the scientist and ian mccullen are like well we got to figure out what's going on they trace everything to these eggs and this coffee place and they realize it's in columbia so so we have like this big spy mission where they go into Columbia and figure all this shit out. There's like 20 more minutes of them kind of walking around. Ian McCulloch in, in some jungle. And like a lot of talking, a lot of downtime. And then we come to figure out that the other astronauts behind some secret ploy from aliens and this giant alien creature who looks damn cool there's a big confrontation the ending 20 minutes is entertaining so we have opening 20 minutes is fucking awesome slow motion gore and then we have mostly nothing in the middle a couple moments here and there but then the ending um is pretty fun we have some shootouts some gore some and then, and then we have a cool giant alien which is awesome and he eats somebody which i loved but that that middle block of about an hour is fucking rough it's just padding it's just boring the pacing of this movie is dog shit. And I've always said that. And I know people love this movie. And I know a lot of people who are big James Bond fans have mentioned that. They say, well, you know, it's, it's got that James Bond feel about it. We really like that kind of stuff, that kind of mystery, figuring all this kind of stuff out. So they're used to it. And they dig that kind of stuff. And I, I guess that's okay. You know, I want to like Contamination. I want to love you, Luigi Kazi. I want to love you. I've seen a bunch of your horror films, including the, the unofficial sequel to the Three Mothers series, um, Black Hat, which I like. Um, and uh, Paganini Horror, which is absurd as shit, and I think I've seen a couple other ones. What's the other one? Um, I, I've seen a few. I've seen a handful of Luigi Kazi movies. Um, I don't know. I think the Black Cat's the best. I don't love Contamination. I want to like it more. I like, you know, the, the, the opening, and I like the ending, and that middle gap in between is not great. There is an infamous uh, woman being slapped in here, which now plays in, uh, in unintentional hilariousness because it's so inappropriate but at the same time the reactions are so ridiculous the dialogue so as as it is concerned a lot of people love contamination so you might want to give it a spin yourself i don't hate it um it's not one of the worst movies in 1980 it's just always something that i start off very excited to watch and then when i get about 45 minutes into it i'm like oh man as far as the special features are concerned we have um uh, brand new audio commentary, filmmaker, Fangoria editor, and Contamination superfan Chris Alexander. He also did a commentary for Nightmare City. I'm sure if it's anything like that, it's more of a, a humorous commentary. Notes on science fiction cinema and archival documentary featuring behind-the-scenes footage and director Luigi Kazi on the birth of Contamination. 2014 Q&A with Kazi and star Ian McCulloch. Sound of Cyclops, uh, Maurizio Garani on this music of Contamination. The keyboard keyboard, the goblin keyboardist discusses Contamination's dark progressive rock score and a lifetime of making music for Italian terror. 
here. Luigi Kazi versus Lewis Coates. That's his alternative American name. A brand new interview with director in which he discusses his filmmaking career from past to present. Imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. A critical analysis of the Italian cash in a brand new feature at looking at the Italian genre movies which sought to cash in on popular Hollywood blockbusters. The actual trailer, graphic novel based on the original Contamination screenplay. That's on the desk. Reversible scream. So they, man. And a collector's booklet featuring um, uh, writings on the film by Chris Alexander. So, man, they went all out on this edition. So if you're a fan, it's a DVD-Blu-ray combo. You need it. If you're not a fan uh, or you've never seen it, maybe give it a spin. Give Contamination another try. I've given it four tries. I don't know if I'm giving it a fifth. Um, it's Like I said, it's not the worst from 1980. It's just certainly not going to make my top 25. I bet somebody will have it in their top 25. I'm looking at you, Moots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's Contamination. All right, guys, we're here for Blind Spot. This is your pick, and you picked the Chinese Ghost Story from 1987. We wanted to kind of familiarize ourselves with some more of the kind of like bigger uh, titles that are more like a fantasy kind of horse style thing. I had never seen this, of course. Uh, there's two sequels. Um, mm-hmm. The director, I think, went on to do part two. Um, he seems to have like a, a good list of movies. I really should have paid closer attention to what they were. Uh, yeah, so boy, explaining this plot. Um, we kind of follow, what is he, uh, what's his job again, exactly? I think he's a debt collector. Okay, he's a debt collector, and right in the beginning, he witnesses, you know, uh, this, like, samurai or so, or Ronin something, murder somebody, not murder, kill a thief, mm-hmm. in brutal detail, and then he kind of runs into this guy fighting another guy, this leads him to this haunted place where he ends up staying the night, and he gets involved with a ghost. Basically, it's a, a love story kind of deal. But uh, he has to face off against an army of ghosts, uh, this big old monster. And uh, one of the guys earlier he saw fighting is going to help him. But seemingly, he seems like a villain at first. So, yeah, this is a fantasy kind of epic. It's weird. It's it's silly. It's it's kind of violent. And it has really cool special effects, very fun special effects. And it's very playful. Mm-hmm. Like uh, some of the other ones that we had seen... Um, encounters the spooky kind kind of in a vein to that somewhat but a little bit different um what and erotic ghost story erotic ghost story a lot less sex of course right so. but but similar in the in the design of like a mortal falling up of a ghost or yeah. vice versa only i think in erotic ghost story the ghosts are in love with the human something like that but then, but then, it, then there's a twist at the end yeah but then there's the twist well, it's like, okay yeah i remember erotic ghost story now. and even okay. if you look at something like mr vampire they have like the evil spirits that follow you home and attach themselves to you and make you fall in love with them and this also does have like the spells on the paper which uh, mr vampire and and spooky encounters have like they throw the spells at you and pose it's a very chinese kind of similar thing yeah and that I, almost all the chinese ghost stories have the spells on yeah the paper. And, and i don't know if that's like a buddhist thing um in, in this like the the character like the um the side character the character that kind of presents himself as a villain and tries to be a good guy um he he's introduced as like like a a wanted criminal and then you find out oh no he's an ex-judge slash traveling taoist buddhist priest um and then so so yeah he does all like the fancy finger spells um you know the paper the 
impaling darts and stuff like that. He's he's really cool. He's, he's, he's like the warrior type and uh, just just an amazing character. We watch this on Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's, all three of them I think are on Prime, which is awesome in HD. Mm-hmm. Um, what I liked the best, honestly, was the ghost stuff. That was very cute and funny. I love the ghost, and the ghost stuff. designs are really cool, creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, they all look like that guy who smokes too much in Beetlejuice. Yeah, <laughs> but they look a little cheap, like almost like the stop motion. They they um, almost look like sock puppets. A little bit, yeah, um, a little bit. I it has like a, like an evil is it Evil Dead Dead Alive Evil Dead Evil Dead vibe to it somewhat yeah um especially for like the haunted inn and like you know all this, like the spooky stuff under the floorboards I love the um the I, did they call her the old dame she was like in charge of yeah. like the yeah. so there's like three daughters or two daughters or something that are all ghosts and uh they 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 they're under like the possession of the old dame and i think it's played by a it's, man it's definitely played by a man. um but just, just an awesome character type and and then they had to deal with the old dame and then something else well, and something else you get the more serious villain here which is like uh kind of portrayed like you see its arms at point it's like mm-hmm. big tentacles and at the very end when they do like the final fight scene it reminded me of devil man a bit um, yeah so you remember the villain in devil man where like he has all the faces of the souls the turtle guy yeah, yeah. there's a point in that where it's like that where like they actually get a good hit on the, the the villain and something opens up and all these like heads pop out and it reminded me of that it reminded me of haruko the goblin from 1991 mm-hmm. just a really cool innovative of special effects that are scary as shit. I literally was like, oh, I, I, I said something. I was like, wow. No, no, there's happened. some neat, that, neat that, imagery in this one. Because the effects earlier, they're fun, but they're kind of shoddy, like in, mm-hmm. a, in, a, in a very fun way, like the skeletons and stuff or the decrepit corpses. But when that happened, when that, like, all those heads flew off, I about shit a brick. And it's like really good atmosphere during a lot of the fight scenes, a lot of fog and mist and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the main villain is like he's in shroud. Like, you can't really see him very well. And they do that on purpose. He's got like a really great, like, body armor and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, he's on the cover and he just looks looks like he's right out of like a 1980s italian fantasy sword and sandal movie like like ator or something but obviously much better than something like ator the covers of those movies were always so much better than the actual films themselves and a lot of those italian sword and uh, sandal movies and, and it's in, i think it's the same kind of vibe like you, you know yeah this is it's less like european fantasy or whatever the swords and sandals were I, I don't even know half the time um you know but definitely like asian fantasy it's it's you know, kind of like I would say, like a medieval China. Um, yeah. You know, but with with those with like like the more Asian style elements, like you got like like the Buddhism, um, the Taoism. You know, the different ghost stories and what is a ghost. You know, like some things. You know, a, a ghost in like like the European sense and a ghost in the Asian sense. You They're know, completely different. And even from right. Japan to Asia to oh, Korea, yeah. the ghosts are completely different. You know, I noticed Korea it was like a mixture of Japanese and Chinese ghosts to me. But while like Chinese and Japanese ghost stories, I've never seen such a different uh, look at ghost stories in those comparisons to those two movies. They're like series. They're just nothing alike. Oh, yeah. You, you know, I mean, you know, and each culture has its own like interpretation of like ghost, vampire, witch, you yeah. know, whatever. Surprisingly, like Spain has more similarities to Japan than China does when it comes to ghost. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, you would never. It, it's so strange. Like geography seems to be out the window when it comes to right. ghost stories. Um, I like this one quite a bit. Like I mean, there, there was a, I, it's shorter than you'd expect to. It doesn't have yeah. the epic runtime. It just has the epic feel. I'd give it four out of five, honestly. Yeah. He's easily a four out of five. It, it, it's a quick paced movie. Um, a lot happens, I think in the back half and in the first half. Um, 
and I think the back half yeah. actually captivated my attention a bit more. I agree, I agree. The first half, I was like, this is fine. It just seems very typical, you know, like even yeah. maybe some Shaw Brothers stuff with the like period piece and the the robbing and the duel. But like the fight scenes, like the gore when they mm-hmm. fought with like the swords, that felt more like out of something that would be Japanese. In that style, yeah, yeah, I'd yeah say. more so, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I imagine that, like, at this point, eighty-seven, you know, all these countries are influencing each other heavily uh, yeah. and everything like that. Um, you know what? I was gonna pick Night Riders, um, but it's actually technically nineteen eighty-one, the George Romero movie. Well, just pick it anyway. We don't have to watch a nineteen eighty movie every week. Contraband. He has to do his project. Is a faulty one, but I don't think that you want to watch it. I don't see the point to it. So I think well, Night Riders is long though. Well. Whichever one you want to do, Knight Riders or Contraband. It don't. I still think we should watch Knight Riders because I think you should check Knight Riders out. But let's do Knight Riders. It's 1981. We'll do George Romero's Knight Riders, which I've only watched one time. And uh, I actually watched it right before I met George Romero back in 2016, 2015, 2015, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Something around there. So, yeah, let's rewatch Knight Riders. Okay. Good stuff. We're done. Okay, fine. Bye. All right, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that jazz. So last week, I basically asked you guys your favorite uh, movies based on true crime. Also, I have a lot of people giving me some love for the channel, and that's going to seem like a narcissist if I read all this out, but I'm going to because they were nice enough to write something. Um, But uh, yeah, so... And I appreciate all, all your guys' responses and everything like that. <laughs> Sometimes you just need some reassurance in what you're doing. Um, so, Smudge. Kind of typical choice, I'm sure, but my favorite true crime-based um, film would have to be Goodfellas. It's in my top five films of all time. Another one near the top would be Badlands, which is the Charles Starkweather murder spree story, but with the names changed. Great movie. The Untouchables of Casino are amazing, if those can be considered true crime. And a few nonviolent ones, The Big Short and The Wolf of Wall Street, are awesome white-collar crime films. Um, as for how you can grow your channel, I wish I could give you like a silver bullet, but I can't. I think The Secret Top Ten is a cool idea, although you should tweak it so you have more of a chance to actually guess people's ten. Maybe give yourself more than two minutes, and maybe you get to ask like three hints from the guest. I actually do have an idea for a returning guest, how I can make that easier. Um, cross promotion with 22 shots has helped you at least a bit because that's how I learned about you and subbed. Thank you. There are really, uh, really aren't that many big YouTube horror, big horror focused YouTube channels. There are tons that are smaller than yours. Granted, they often put very little effort into their channels, whereas you put a lot in some that also put a lot of effort in are still under hundred K or barely over it. And YouTube will screw over creators in various ways, like demonetizing stuff with no re- recourse. So even for big channels, they're often not exactly making bank, you know? Uh, getting over 1k per video is good viewership for a channel under 10k subs. I think that making your episodes a bit shorter not only save you time and effort, but might actually increase viewership a bit. Um, yeah, maybe cutting them up. But also, I do not monetize the weekly video at all because I use trailers. I, I don't fight that stuff. So I don't monetize any of the major videos that have clips in them. Um, I started doing those short reviews and I monetize those. Um so basically, and he also says, oh, where did we go? You could also make standalone videos where you do top 25s for various subgenres of horror, exploitation, action, sci-fi franchises, directors under 30 minutes long each. That kind of deal draws in new casual viewers, I think. New horror fans are often looking for recommendations. Covering new horror movies and quick reviews is also a good idea, which started, which you started doing recently with Nope. I also hope you keep acting in indie horror. I've only watched Headless, but it's a legit movie, and you're good in it. I'm rambling. I hope that was helpful in some way. Thank you. Um, I, I 
the the acting stuff is just like all the people you work with stop making them so it's just like such a huge effort to go not only say out of my comfort zone but um it's just a lot of work for little reward sometimes so if they come to me or something looks great i'll try to be involved with it for sure mike moore you are one of the most informative movie reviews on YouTube. I enjoy the long videos, but think the fact it's horror and exploitation related. Long videos, and they are not clickbait pickup videos, can tell it's a labor of love. I don't know. I would say maybe short, shorter clips for the show. Post them after you post the entire show, like individual reviews. Then a clickbait pickup video, but just use clips for the whole show. But I, for one, do enjoy the longer videos. Thank you. The Gore Guide. Hey, great videos, Ozies. Yeah, I can't even speak right now. I totally understand about burnout, especially on YouTube. I would say TikTok would probably help, but also covering stuff from the streaming service would give you a big boost. Unfortunately, that would mean sacrifices come to your integrity and what you have been doing for years. But you also have to change with the times, and most people nowadays don't collect physical media and only watch stuff via streaming apps. Maybe doing stuff from Shutter, Hulu, Tubi, Peacock, Prime uh, would work in your favor, but mixing it up with your normal stuff because all your fans, me included, love seeing the classic crazy stuff. That's what I like, you know? There's always so many people covering new movies. I always wanted to cover the old movies or new releases of old movies, especially movies that nobody else is covering. That's why I like doing the retro years for 22 Shots because... Who the hell else is going to cover Aunt Alejandra or Shadow or stuff? You know, they're not in-depth, amazing you know, analysis of the movies. They're still at least a little, you know, hey, this movie exists and it's pretty decent or interesting and it ties in, you know, with that 1980, so check it out, you know, kind of deal, so... Uh, Stefan Mittander, hey, just wanted to give you a shout out, let you know that your videos are great and you absolutely deserve more subscribers. I'm not great at writing English, so I seldom comment, but your videos are a highlight in my week. You're a great reviewer and talk about films with both knowledge and passion. I can't think of any other YouTubers, YouTube reviewers that are as good. I really hope your hard work starts to pay off. If there is any justice, it will. I hope you keep doing the weekly videos and I'm thankful for them as long as you do them. Thank you. I appreciate it. I do, and like again now, I feel like a complete jackass, and I'm like, give me compliments, tell me I'm great, you know what I mean? Uh, Thor, uh, Odin God, guard. Hey, I'm Thor, a little bit older than you, but love your show. Keep it up. Greetings from Norway. Big ups. Awesome. My brother actually took one of those DNA and me tests, and um, apparently uh, he's 29% Norwegian, and I don't know how much of it I got, but I'm definitely a chunk Norwegian myself. The Red Room. Um, love your videos, Dave. Been watching for years and have found so many interesting movies from your channel. A lot of credit goes to your page for getting me into genre films weirder stuff. Thank you for that. You're probably my favorite horror reviewing page on YouTube, and I really like how in-depth you get, while still keeping things pretty casual and fun. Hope you keep doing what you're doing, but definitely take care of yourself. It seems like a lot of work for sure. Would also uh, totally be interested in hearing acting stories, personal things, different types of videos, whatever. Optimus Swag, I uh, Optimus Swag, I like that. I've found so many dope films from your channel over the last eight years or so, man. I look forward to your reviews. Hell, oftentimes I'll check to see if you reviewed a film that I'm planning on buying, watching. Hopefully, you figure out what you're gonna do forward. Uh, Want to do going forward? Take your time, man. Doctor Snuff. I understand your issue, but no matter what you decide to do, I just want to know that I watch your videos not only because you are so thorough and in into depth with the movies, but also because you managed to introduce me to some movies I did not know. Um, um, even though I consider myself to be very knowledgeable when it comes to horror, sci-fi, exploitation, cult movies, and so on. I guess that at the end of the day, we we'll, would like to subscribe to the idea that the problem is that your channel is too niche niche because i had a similar problem two years ago with my instagram where i posted pictures of the movies i watched i got very few likes and subscribers because i mostly watch obscure films like the great alligator night beast or import or import export but when i once in a while watch well-known movies like zombie flesh eaters robocop or the terminator i would get a lot more likes and new subscribers it kind of took the fun away so i ended up deleting my instagram account but not 
uh, but do not do that. LOL. I understand what you're saying. Like you're like how I I love like those movies too. Like but like am I gonna say anything different about RoboCop or Terminator than anyone else? Like maybe I don't know. I doubt it. But like it is what it is, right? Um, Mandy Cage. I really enjoy your channel. I dig all the trailers and clips you use and the pickups at the end. I hope you do well and have much success. This is my go-to channel. Thank you very much. I pre- like it's weird. Like, I also am bad about that. Like, I'll watch a channel or I'll watch somebody's podcast for years, and I love it. And I never tell them that I like it. Like, and then somebody, when somebody once told me that, I said, well, they don't need to hear it. They know they're good. And like, my friend was like, no, they don't. Not everybody does. Not everybody knows that they're doing a good job out there, especially when they, they get the views or they have certain amount of views, but nobody tells them. Like, they don't know. People do not know. Or, or like, I wish they would stop doing that. They don't know that people hate that, what they're, something they're doing or something. Like, you got to tell people. And I'm guilty of that, just assuming things and then wondering why no one comments on my, it's just the way it is. Like, nobody. We all do it now. It's just a strange thing. <laughs> Sorry. Clean family videos. Your videos are entertaining, educational, perfect the way they are. I don't feel biased because I've been watching your channel for maybe a year or two. Coolder used to be my place to go learn about the weird stuff, and I don't say this disrespectfully at all because I still love his channel, but he has a bit uh, has a bit of disposition towards the mainstream Walmart type stuff. Now, this channel is the place I go to learn about the weirder stuff, cult, genre, shock. Please don't change. Thank you very much. You know, you got to give Cool Duder props. I know a lot of people don't like him. Because, you know, posted a lot of, like, groups he's not really active in or whatever. And he does, the, you know, the silly faces on his, his thumbnail. Although I've probably done the same thing. Guilty. But Cool Duder is one of the first YouTubers out there doing shit, right? And, like, no matter what you think of his content or anything, you got to give dude props. Because a lot of people, like, I saw Cool Duder and I was like, you know, that looks fun. It looks like I could maybe get involved with that. And I also saw other people that aren't around anymore who are doing it. Um, so... It was kind of cool to jump on that, and you know, honestly, I've had very little interaction with Cool Duder, but occasionally I would mess. He would message me just about like being involved with like that VHS stuff, like that, I, like little collectors docs and stuff. And he's always been nice to me. I don't know him personally, like I said, but just little interactions here and there. And he's always kind to me. I know, like a lot of people don't love the guy. Some people love him. Some people hate him. It is what it is. Just being honest. Um, Easy Keep doing what you do. We all burn out sometimes. It's normal. If you need to take a break to rediscover your passion, do it. But don't worry about your audience and what they want. What do you want and what do you love? The people who love your content and have been watching your channel over the years will stay loyal to you regardless of what you choose. I personally find your videos and format to be wonderful. I don't know shit about TikTok. The most I use is Instagram and YouTube. Instagram as of late has been pretty annoying since they switched up the hashtags and what gets shown. I used to be able to find so much content for horror, but a lot of them, they disappeared to only show top posts. It's mad annoying and we can't control the social media landscape. However, we know what we love and even if your audience is niche, niche, they will appreciate your passion and share your passion with you. You stand out, have inspired many in the community. If you ever do day one, one day leave, there will be huge shoes to fill. Dr. Lamb is amazing, but I agree it's hard to live up to the untold story. I still need to see Nope, but I have to admit I'm not crazy about Jordan Peele's films. Digging your 1980s review. Isimicio, I love you. Thank you. Um, And then a lot of the people that always comment and always come back, I appreciate it. I really do. You know, um, 
Um, some of the people I start to like have personalities and I start to re- like kind of re- know who they are, you know, and everything like that, especially somebody like Peekinboo who disappeared. And I still wonder what the fuck happened to Peekinboo. Um, Darren A, I truly appreciate and look forward to your videos every week. You do reviews, movies. Uh, you do review movies not really reviewed by any other creators, which makes you very unique and admired. Maybe do a bi-weekly show if you're burnout. Regardless, I personally look forward to you Wednesday. Keep up the great work. Thank you. P.S. Miami Blues is gold. Good laughs and dark, like you mentioned. The Krishna death and the mocking of it made me crack up. I mean, I'm sick too. Like, I'm the type of person that watches the movie and like the scene in Gremlins where the old lady in the wheelchair is like, that's hilarious. Like, you know, like just stuff like that is just brilliant. Tempo Tapas, I've been watching about a dozen channels on YouTube for ten plus years, and I have no idea. Uh, why they don't get more subscribers compared to others who do. So I don't understand it either. Maybe it's more uh, niche than it seems to be. Who knows? I hear about you getting old. I say most aspects of getting old are better, but injuries are always a drag. I badly bruised my rib cage last summer in a cycling accident and couldn't ride or do anything athletic for half the summer, which isn't very long in the first place up here in the northern Midwest. A real bummer. It helps me when I remember that many people have it much worse. You're right. There's a lot of people that got it worse, you know. Um, just like at work one day, like somebody was driving to work and in the morning they crashed their car right before work. And I'm like, it's Monday and work fucking sucks. But I didn't total my car right before I came here. So that's always a plus. Uh, D Domino. I don't comment much, but I have been watching you for years. I think I stumbled on your channel when I was looking for some movie reviews, and your style just clicked with me. I've wondered for many years why you don't have a bigger audience, and I have no idea. I really don't have any advice to give, as I know nothing about your YouTube creation. The best thing is for you to do just what is comfortable and what you enjoy. If you don't enjoy it, the viewers won't either. There are some other channels that I follow, non-movie related, and they are the same boat. Years upon years of videos, and not even 8,000 subs, like some others have said. Maybe find some bigger channels and see if they can collaborate or be a guest. Just to see if you can get more exposure, maybe. We all hate ads, but maybe a sponsor or ad could help. Again, I really don't know, but I love your channel and will continue to watch no matter what you do. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, like somebody mentioned, like maybe like joining in, like with like uh, asking Serial at Midnight, who I've seen here and there. I don't always watch all the YouTube channels myself personally. You know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and I, I'm having some podcasters come on and everything like that. But you know, it's it's weird reaching out to a bigger channel. I'm like, hey, come on my show. It's smaller than yours, and you won't get any. It's like them doing you a favor, and especially if you don't know him. I don't like asking people for help. I don't especially strangers. Uh, so I'm like the type of person that if I became homeless, I would just like die. <laughs> I would just die. Like I would just not eat. Um, Ken Coakley. I really liked the 1968 film, the Boston Strangler starring Tony Curtis. We're talking about true crime films again. Uh, Albert DeSalvo lived near my parents before I was born and had a reputation for being creepy, but not a murderer. There's even speculation that DeSalvo might have been the wrong guy. William Marshall, famous for Black Hill, played Senator Edward Brock. He goes on, but yeah, um, that case is very strange. Some people think there was like two or three different killers that got pinned on Salvo. Um, I liked seeing Boston back in the 60s. Another really good Boston-based crime drama was The Friends of Eddie Coyle, but it isn't true crime. I also liked the movie reviewed last week, Bonnie and Clyde. The movie did lighten them up. They was a documentary that Something Weird released called Bonnie and Clyde, The True Story. Lastly, my favorite movie based on true crime was the 1973 film Walking Tall. The movie was about a small-town sheriff using strong-arm tactics to fight crime. Eventually got targeted by the Dixie Mafia. The real guy served as a technical advisor. I think maybe reach out to some of the bigger channels and see if they will be have you um, have you as a guest. You would make a great guest, and it would be a good way to get new views viewers in your channel. Love the channel and would have uh, hate to see you leave, but... Uh, well, I don't want to see you not grow and get burned out. Hope you continue. Thank you. Um, maybe that wasn't... Oh, I can't think... Hopefully, I don't know who said that. Sometimes I mess up. Um, 
Kentucky Kentuckinator, Dukes of Hutch. Could be a good buddy cop exploitation mashup. I don't get TikTok. I'm an old bastard, but you should consider streaming if you got the internet set up in time for it. Do it semi-regularly and you'll get a following. Do a live commentary, reviews, new releases, an interview, etc. Hudson, I'm not going to say I told you so, but I thought you so way back that you're going to burn yourself out and you needed a break. Not surprised you're burnt out because the length of the video alone is an hour and a half. Just a thought. Uh, what about if you make the video shorter and just um, just don't uh, done whore? Been a long time. Sub and watch every one of your videos and appreciate what you do. So just me then. Uh, yeah, maybe I don't uh, make them shorter. For sure. Um, I am a I am Marie uh, four five six Miami Blues question mark something Nikki Brown uh, maybe do one really new mainstream horror etc movie and compare with older ones to get an algorithm moods change moods change so keep it up love your content no I immediately felt better like after I got that off my chest you know it's just time man it's just sometimes you get in that it drag you know and everybody gets uh, some little depressed or a little burnout you know it happens it happens okay still have more so there's a lot I made a lot of questions this week. Uh, Marcus, Midnight Music. Hey, Mr. Parker, long-time watcher over the past 10 years. I think it's fair to reconsider the future of your channel, especially with all the effort you made. make. I gotta say, though, your channel is one of the best on there. It's informative, and I base a lot of my purchases on stuff you review, particularly all the great Hong Kong stuff coming out these days. That said, it is an incredibly niche market that means you probably won't have massive audience. And to your credit, you don't go for the clickbait stuff that may drive more eyeballs to your channel. Give yourself a break and take some time to recharge, but know that the vast majority of folks will continue to follow along with whatever path you choose. Thank you very much. Mr. Spock, love your channel. Look forward to it every week. Change can be a good thing. Nick Mua. I do hope you'll continue making these longer style shows. I've always enjoyed them, and it's why I keep coming back on a weekly basis. You provide in-depth reviews of films, both new and old, unknown and unknown. Few have the work ethic and stamina to do so. It's all quick fixes, clickbaits, and superficial dreck these days. And old man rant. If you can help your channel expand by doing many reviews, have at it. This is your baby, and children need to eat and grow, yes? Whatever you do, whatever you need to do, feel free. Wear that slutty tank top. Don't wear a tank top. Sing and dance. Go crazy, Mr. Parka. As for the true crime movies, I've always experienced pangs of guilt watching these, but I love the subgenre almost as much as I do horror. My fa two favorites, 10 Rillington Place. This one haunts you. You knew Chris Kringle, John Hammond could be such a creepy critter. Monster. Words can hardly describe the dark masterpiece, uh, Cheryl, um, Theron, uh, I always say, uh, Cher, how do you fucking say her name? Charlize Theron's got the chops for, sure. One, um, one cannot help feel both disgusted and touched by the life of Eileen Warnos. Um, questions. Is the criminal you would like to betray even, um, is there a criminal you'd like to betray even though he disgusts you? When I was younger, I feel when I had the long hair and everything, I could have played Richard Chase, um, you, you know, that, that could have been something interesting. Um, but honestly, I'd probably want to play a criminal in the sense, like somebody who's a bank robber or something in that along the lines that has like a big shootouts in the movie. I think that would be more, uh, entertaining. Um, as far as like, I'm trying to think of a serial killer or something like that. I don't think that I really fit the mold for any of them anymore. Um, just a little too old to play any of them. And my, I just don't feel like I look too much like them. I know they could do makeup or anything like that. Um, Oh boy. Can't really think of any true crime people um that could generally fit that. Uh, 
Jeez, I, I really don't have any. I would not. I would want to play a criminal in a movie or a serial killer or something like that. I have played a serial killer, and I played criminals, of course. I played a lot of bad people. But uh, I can't think of any actual, you know, true crime character that I think I would do a good job at. Um, that somebody else hadn't already done and did an amazing job at. Um, your favorite movie example, a style over substance. It's got to be, you know, some of the Italian films for sure. Or, you know, the surreal ones like Haosu is a great one um, for sure. Let's go with Haosu or Suspiria, even though there is substance. Some My friend Dave Z says that the style is so good that it is a substance. So it would definitely probably be something like Suspiria. Um, which U.S. studio is or was the best provider of horror? I mean, you kind of have to go with Universal, right? Universal had all the Universal monsters, and then later on they would have, you know, like uh, stuff that um, they gave, like, uh, you know, Carpenter had some Universal pictures, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, did, did um, but as I mean, like A24, if you're doing the new ones, they have some, like, kind of like artsy horror films, but I'm going Universal, just for the Universal horror in general. Um, your show is always a joy to watch. D Gulag, this has been one of my favorite channels for probably five years now, for whatever it's worth, bud. Thank you. And he says, I watch all your segment interviews, always solid, but do not understand where you're, I do understand where you're coming from. I've noticed the full franchise review videos do really well, like a video reviewing all the Friday 13ths or the witchcraft movies, just spitballing. Yeah, could be cool. Cheers from Canada. And now we have the Facebook comments. John Soloway, I have to cheat and add two. Snowtown, based on Australian Snowtown murders. That movie's intense. Uh, Marion Doris Cannibal, but German Cannibal uh, Armin Muse. Both these films are so close to the facts they could be used as documentaries. I, I thought Snowtown was great. Um, never, I never had the balls to finish Cannibal. Um, both um, Jesse Wright, I'd say Henry Porsche of a Serial Killer, but that was based on Henry Lee Lucas's False Confession than Truth. I think two non-horror films, Goodfellas and Black Mask, are favorite films based on real crimes. I love Henry. It's my, one of my favorites. Jamal Potter, Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, Stephen McGurvin, I never get bored watching that. Um, Alan Clark's Elephant, 1969, that's his. Jim Dudes, um, River's Edge, great movie. Bill Casanelli, two from Australia. Wolf Creek and Chopper. Drew Mar Marvick, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Cassidy Botwin, At Close Range. Mary L. Lilly, Deranged, great movie. Ten Rillington Place. And for TV shows, the obvious one that sticks out for me is Manhunter. Tony G, you know, Tony the Dead. I know it's not a, uh, the same, but I really like Tiger King. Herbert West, The Secret Life of Jeffrey Dahmer, underrated movie. Alan Blyton, The Bank Job, 2008. Christopher Webb, Deranged, again, 74. Eric Waters, Rampage. Um, it's the freaking one. Dustin Mills, I'm not sure if it's my favorite, but Citizen X is very good and not talked about much. Underrated film for sure about Andre Chikatilo. Uh, Mark Van uh, Vanover, Devil's Knots. Um, Jason Fetters, In Cold Blood and Helter Skelter. David Brown, Henry, Antonio Padilla, To Die For, Matt Williams, Zodiac, Abigail Dagon, Bully, Goodfellas, Party Monster. Um, and then John Soloway loves Bully as well. Jason Rutherford, Henry, Lacey Lou, early morning for me. So may come back and something else when my brain is awake. But Lords of Chaos is the first that comes to mind because I watched it last night, LOL. Adam Weber, Bully, even uh, Eva Stanton, and American Crime about Sylvia Likens. Jeff Thompson, The Legend of Lizzie Borden. J Jason Lindbergh, The Texas Chancellor Massacre, Psycho, Silence of Lambs, and any other movies that uh, took from Ed Gein, most especially the actual film called Ed Gein. Dennis Delaney, The Executioner Song, um, 82, with Tommy Lee Jones. Tracy Allen, The Girl Next Door. Sounds like some true crimes happening out there right now. Carl Butcher Yit, more films, but extreme uh, ones. Doria's Cannibal, Henry, great film, and Citizen X. Eddie Wood, Zodiac, Neil Machendo, Goodfellas, Sergio Castillo, uh, Megalanes, Memories of Murder, Jack Criddle, The Honeymoon Killers. I love The Honeymoon Killers. Um, Rory Vargas, uh, Scott, Jack Criddle, such a great 
great grimy flick. Oh, yeah, so she loves the the Honeymoon Killers as well. Gabrielle Juliet, Deranged, one of the best 70s movies. Uh, Richard Calvero, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, Glendy Worthington, Gus Van Sant's Elephant. Tom Stein, Boston Strangler. Uh, Roy Vargas Schutt. Um, how do you say that? Schutt? Uh, the, this could be controversial because they were TV movies, but I'm going with Helter Skelter with Steve Railsback and The Deliberate Stranger with Mark Harmon um, about Ted Bundy. Uh, Yamin Solistico, um, same here. Zach Hill, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, Skip Barber in Cold Blood. J.P. Andrika, See No Evil, The More Murders, This Is Personal, The Hunt for the Yorkshire Ripper. Oh, yeah, is that, uh, what was that guy's name? Pete something? Was that the Pete guy? Oh, I can't remember him. He just recently died. Didn't he die of COVID? Um, uh, Kaylee Gray, Sean Donahue, Psych Class in High School was super fun. Oh, Sean Donahue, Son of Sam. And then uh, Kaylee Gray responds, Psych class in high school is super fun in an assignment where we had to pick a serial killer and write a paper about it. Mine was Son of Sam, so I watched this movie for my research. Ha ha. Um, okay. She basically says, but... Uh, basically, Kaylee Gray says, Snowtown and Party Monster, Sean Donahue. Okay, Matt Hudson. If Psycho counts, Psycho. It was heavily influenced by Ed Gein, but also a healthy dose of adaptation. That being said, Norman Bates is much closer to Ed Gein than Leatherface or Buffalo Bill, also inspired by Gein. Brandon Terry, The Manson Family, Cannibal, Henry, Snowtown. Uh, Rowan Richards, Unpopular Opinion, Lords of Chaos, The Burzum Story is Pretty Gory. Um, Kevin Keegan, The Chasers, South Korea. I need to check that one out. Carlos Lopez Jr., Cannibal slash Bizarre Bizarre. That's the um, Robert, uh, what the fuck was his name? Berndello, right? Berndello. That's a trauma release. I need to check that out. Jordan Bennett, Compliance, Tim Walker, The Town, The Dreaded Sundown. That was one of my dad's favorite. My, my dad had this buddy named Bill Yoakum. Love Bill Yoakum. And he loved the town that dreaded sundown. He had this deep kind of voice. He'd be like the town that dreaded every time he said it stuck in my head. I can't, I can't mimic his voice, but the way he said the town that dreaded sundown forever stuck in my head. Derek B memories of murder and badlands. Lucas tout memories of murder, monster, Zodiac, Snowtown, and the Mindhunter series. Meredith J Brown, Hans of love, Josh Hayes, um, the golden glove. Great movie. Mike Merriman, total recall. The fuck out of here. Uh, Frank Costello, helter skelter, Thomas Norman, force of love, a Japanese film by sign and Sono. No, it's, pretty crazy how manipulative the villain is it's a crazy movie a d uh d neck oak uh thomas norman i would prefer his cold fish i expect forrest love to be more serious as cold fish thomas norman there's quite always quite the undercurrent of dark humor um and he also mentions d oink uh mentions uh angst which is a crazy 1983 film david gibson zodiac is the easy answer i do love the golden glove as well dan detia uh badlands loosely based on stark weather homicides greg j gomez bully summer of sam um, Son of Sam, I believe. Angela J. Nagy, uh, Bully is so disturbing. Jeremy R. Probably Henry, not necessarily accurate, but still one of my favorites. Uh, Cheryl Thin, Cold Light of Day, and um, that's a that's a wild movie. Michael Leach, Stella got her groove back. Got some comedians up here. Don't quit your day job, guys. Uh, Bill Kate, uh, E.T. Another one. Um, Justin Morales, Jim Van Bevers, The Manson Family, Zodiac Monster. Uh, Angela J. Nagy, To Catch a Killer is amazing. And also, no one would tell I'm a sucker for true life movies, but To Catch a Killer is just absolutely brilliant. Randall Stalder, Bully. Um, yeah, so next week, we're going to ask, what is a top 10 list you'd like me to do for the channel? I think I'll do the top 10s, top 25s. You know, top 10 zombie movies, top 10, it can be whatever, top 10 um deaths in the 80s, top 10, you know, favorite action movies, top 10, they can be obscure too, they can be top 10 favorite italian scores or composers anything 
and you know i'll cut them down and i'll do the three minute tiktok videos but you know the broader the better probably um just for some exposure help me help me help me figure this stuff out guys so basically what are some you know quick videos you'd like to see me do for the channel that could be you know broaden and help help me out there so anyways uh let's hop into the update okay this can be a quick update first up from kino we have uh, a force of one with chuck norris i've never seen this one uh so it has jennifer o'neill in it as well from scanners you know, I'm not the hugest Chuck Norris fan, but I'll pick up some of his earlier stuff, especially when it's got Clue Gulliger in it. So, anyways, good price. I did one of the buy two, get ones over at um, Target when they had it. Um, next up is another Chuck Norris. Good guys uh, wear black. Again, you know, like I said, not a huge uh, Chuck Norris fan, but he always he can fight, and they load his movies up with, with actors I usually like. I believe that was James Franciscus on the cover. I feel like I own every single movie from this guy. Uh, yeah, so anyways, interview with director Ted Post. So Ted Post directed this, which makes perfect sense that James Franciscus is in it. It seems like the guy's lucky charm. Ted Post, good director, just covered his movie Night Killer. Next up is The Octagon, uh, the last of the three Chuck Norris movies from this update. Another Kino, of course. Uh, yeah, also Lee Van Cleef, who's great. I believe this was like a Scorpion or a, a Scorpion or a Code Red originally released. And it was very expensive. Directed by Eric Carson, who did uh, would go on to do, what did he do? A couple Van Damme movies, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, anyways, uh, definitely going to check this out when I get a chance. Looks fun. And then uh, another Kino here. We have Catch uh, the Heat with Rudd Steiger in here. Gotta love Rudd Steiger. Um, Kino putting these slip covers on there. I kind of like them. Uh, I, I would, I don't mind not having the slip covers either as well, but yeah, so never seen this one. Looks kind of fun. And then last up is one that I think I had on VHS high desert kill. Uh, this has got fricking Chuck Connors in it. And this looks kind of like a survival horror flick. Looks totally up my alley. I love these kind of movies. Uh, people got to survive in the wilderness. I think it's an alien force in this one. Anyways, let's hop back to that video. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Me.